coming out on Friday the 13th. Or at least on no, Patreon. No, no way. Least on pa- at least on Patreon it will, I suppose. Oh, wow. By the, t- by the time the free feed hears this, uh, the hauntings of the 13th will be long past us. Uh, I'm I'm spooked. Wow. Friday the 13th. Man, have you seen all those movies, Will? Uh, no, but I know what happens in all of them. Like, I've seen enough oh. of all of them to to, uh, to to know enough, I suppose. I'm making my way through them, and I've been trying to watch one on every uh, Friday the 13th that comes my way. <laughs> so, I think I'm, I'm due... I believe I am on number. I think I'm on uh, part seven. The new blood is the one I, I got to watch next. Okay, yeah, that's the. Uh, I think that's the one that started off as like a Carrie sequel. Mm, mm, yeah. Unfortunately, I thought I, for a second, I, for a hot second, I was like, "No way!" Is Jason takes Manhattan the next one? But no. That's that's gonna be next Friday the thirteenth. Yeah, no, you, uh, yeah, the number get the number gets a little weird. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, that'll be Friday the thirteenth, uh, either later this year or twenty twenty four. I don't know how how often how often do these things come around. I think it changes every year, right? Like, I think some years have multiple Friday the thirteenths, and and some years have. Have none even. Um, there was definitely one last year. Last year I watched part six, which is a a, a banger. Um, but uh, yeah, Jason, the the new blood. Uh, I don't know much about it, but it's exciting stuff. Yeah, I, I, I won't I won't spoil it for you, and hopefully nobody listening to this will either. Uh, Elwood City Limits. It's the episodic Arthur podcast. Will Young here, Lucas Mancini. And uh, yeah, we're into we're into January. We're into our uh, new schedule, so we've got we're I mean we're coming up to the end. The next the next episode we'll be doing will be the end of season fifteen. I don't want to get into too much discussion about it right now, but it feels like the end of January, beginning of February of this year is going to be a really big milestone for the sh- mm. for the show. It's going to mm. like the end of an era and the beginning of a new one. In, in many respects. I Yeah, I mean, like I said, we don't want to uh, put the cart before the horse here, but uh, let's just say it is a impactful, uh, for better or for worse, era. Uh, kind of a changing of the guard, if you will, coming up. So, um, lots to look forward to, I guess. <laughs> yeah, lots to anticipate, I think, is yeah, a neutral yeah. way of saying that. Um, but before then, of course, we've still got a little bit to work through on our end, including uh, an email here. So if you, uh, no matter what your status is as an Elwood City Limits listener, you can always send us emails, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. Our email for this week's episode comes in from a patron of ours. That would be Rory Forever. Uh, hi, Will and Lucas. I hope this message finds you well. Love the podcast as an Arthur fan and gamer who grew up in the Annapolis Valley and has enough wrestling knowledge wow. through my older brother to get the references. It often feels like your podcast was made for me. I mean, this is another real local uh, part of our show as we like to get hyper local sometimes. But Lucas, the Elwood City Limits, fun fact, began in the Annapolis Valley. That's true. We like to talk all the time, especially when it's Coast Awards season, how much we're a Halifax podcast. Uh, but in a way, we're actually a hour outside Halifax podcast. That's how we started, at least. You and I were at different yeah. parts of the Annapolis Valley when we were working at the same place. And uh, then we both moved back to the Halifax area. And uh, yeah, we're t- it's it it's very much a Nova Scotia podcast. It's it's just been at different parts of the province many many times, and so we have other listeners who are at other parts of Nova Scotia as well, including Rory Forever. Just wanted to send a message about one of my favorite Arthur characters, Francine. I know she can be a divisive character, but I truly loved her, even as a kid. Oftentimes, kids identify with characters they can relate to. Unlike Francine, I did not have a sister live in an apartment, was into sports, was outspoken or Jewish. However, what drew me to Francine was her unapologetic nature and willingness to speak her mind without fear of the consequences. Sure, she can take it too far, but as a little kid with social anxiety, I admired her confidence. It's for the very same reasons Sailor Mars was always my favorite Sailor Scout. 
I think that's really been interesting to kind of follow Arthur through. It's almost hard to imagine because we're, I mean, we're so far into the show. There was a time where like Francine could either be like friend or secondary antagonist. And they don't really, they, there was a certain point where they phased her out of that role and she's more she's more so a friend, like a little bit of a rude friend. But really yeah. early on, uh, Francine, I remember getting feeling like I got whiplash as a kid sometimes because some sometimes she'd be nice and other times she'd be really mean. And I never really knew where I stood with her. And those characters, much like Sailor Mars, I was also a big Sailor Moon fan as a kid. Sailor Mars, I was always just like, so are you my friend or not? Like, because you're mean to me sometimes. And I couldn't, you know, now, when you get older, sometimes there's an element of say, like, uh, roasting or rivalry or, um, you know, s- something that can feel negative on its on its outset that makes its way into your friendships. But when you're younger, you're just like, well, if you're my friend, you're nice to me. And if you're not nice to me, then you're not my friend. So to have that ex- coexist in a relationship was really strange to me, especially with somebody with a character like Francine. Uh, how did you feel about Raphael? Well, see, I wasn't as, like, I I liked the Ninja Turtles when I was a kid, but I never got into it as much as other people did. So I know that, like, I know that Raphael is kind of a similar archetype, but to be honest with you, especially in the cartoon, it kind of, a lot of, a lot of them felt sort of interchangeable. Like, mm. sometimes they could just, yeah, yeah. It, it, could, it, could. it's only like, well, Michael and, Michelangelo talks like this, so you know it's him, and Donatello is usually... Uh, doing more nerd stuff, but Raphael sometimes was like, yes, he was rude, but he also like cracked jokes, and so did everyone else. So never got a strong beat on him from the original cartoon series, which is what I watched growing up. Some consider him the progenitor of being cool but rude, which is, I believe, uh, the category we can firmly place Sailor Mars and Francine in. The the cool but rude uh, genus, if you will. Well, and yes, Francine has admitted as such that she is kind of a rude person. So it's I'm, I'm glad to hear that there are people who even as kids kind of gravitated towards that. Because for me, it was very, very confusing and uh, made made me resent Francine sometimes as much as like her. And now it's only as an adult, an adult that I'm like, it's in, I'm glad we could hold two different places for that character at the same time. Because it, there are you you meet people like that. You know, sometimes you're just friends with people who are rude or bossy or pushy, and it's but it doesn't necessarily outshine their good aspects as well. Anyway, just wanted to share why Francine was so important to me as a kid. Thank you and happy new year. Well, thank you, Rory, forever, and to everyone who gives us a little bit of feedback. Shout out as well to IGN Unknown for the five star review on Apple Podcasts. That's not something that we ask for all the time I don't think but that is also a great way to help the podcast if you haven't done so before is to rate us on whatever podcast service that you are listening on if it's on Apple Podcasts with a five-star review does Spotify have a ranking system I don't really I don't use Spotify even though we're on there uh yeah I don't know I don't know how discoverability works on Spotify um listen I think you can heart it Make sure you heart heart that stuff on Spotify. But the most important thing, folks, is if you have a friend who likes animation and podcasts, is to tell a friend. That's what really helps us out here over at Elwood City Limits. That is the classic tried and true way to help us out. Absolutely correct. Um, yeah, so as we mentioned kind of at the top of the show, ECL is into its new schedule where patrons are getting the show a week early. So as we, as we said... We're recording this and releasing it uh, Friday the 13th for patrons. But if you're on the free feed, you'll be listening to it a week later. But we do want to thank our patrons who have enabled us to make this change by allowing us to continue having that space. And coming up at the end of the month for them, we're going to be debuting the new episode, the new episode of our new series, ECL Origins, where we talk about Yvonne of the Yukon. I already have an episode in mind. And I'm really looking forward to the week where I get to do research on this show that we've talked about, I mean, I think since the show began, since 2016, we've been talking about this show on and off, and I'm really excited to actually dive into it. 
that's another one where I'm like excited or anticipating. Right, right. <laughs> um, but we do want to say thank you to some of our patrons, including people like John Dulong and Ian Collis, people like Ross Ward and Kevin Noon, people like Sierra S., and also people like EJ Acra, Owen, uh, Bob Yee, and Robert Morrison. We want to thank Kelly Corbett and Casey Cosmos. And we want to thank people like Young Wee and JP. And also want to say thank you to our newest Patreon. That would be Ryui. Hopefully I uh, pronounced that correctly. Thank you for joining us, Ryui. And thank you to everyone who supports us over at patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. We've been looking for this for a while, and boy, did we get it. It's time for a full, fully-fledged Bailey episode in The Butler Did What? <laughs> the Butler Did What? Well, and the title makes it sound a bit more scandalous than it actually is. It's a little oh, bit... Oh, yeah, of- this is a clickbait title if I ever did <laughs> see one. Like, yeah, this is actually kind of... Arthur starting to use YouTube SEO, like YouTube algorithm <laughs> manipulation. Like I could just see a YouTube thumbnail with like uh, Muffy's face. You can't see the face I'm making right now, Will, but my mouth is a jar and my uh, hands are at my cheeks and the big impact font. The butler did what? It's a close-up picture of Bailey and it just says, does he know? <laughs> yeah, and there's a big red circle with a big red arrow. <laughs> Oh man, I would. I don't. I don't have Photoshop. If anybody wants to make those, we will. Uh, we could feature them on our socials. That'd be great. So Lucas, as the cold open asks, wouldn't it be great to have a butler? Uh, it would be really good to have a butler. I've. I. Well, I don't know. I would feel guilty about having a butler. I'd be like, man, go home. Uh, maybe. Maybe you want like a court mandated butler, like in that Seinfeld episode. Yes, that's the only butlers I'm accepting are ones that are mandated by a court of law. But uh, turns out that this is a little bit of a monkey's paw kind of situation because Buster's asking, oh, you know, it'd be so great to have a butler, except if DW is your butler. Because she's right. highly incompetent in terms of butlering. She brings him breakfast, and we're going to do a real quick edition of uh, Would I Eat This? <laughs> she brings she brings a breakfast in bed, except uh, the breakfast in bed is burnt toast. Which is like burnt to a crisp. Mm-hmm. A lot of car, a lot of carcinogens in there. Uh, cereal, which is like, how could she mess up cereal? Well, there was no milk, so she filled it with juice. Okay. Uh, Will, uh, despite my better adventure, my more adventurous nature, I would not eat this. Really, not even to try it. I kind of thought that you would. No, it looks mad nasty to me. Hmm. Uh, I'm it, not it, a fan. Th- that is true. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'd be, I'd be willing to go. I'd be willing to do wow. a spoon, a spoonful, just to say that I did. It's that's it's, the, the the twisted Friday the Thirteenth magic. It's everything is upside <laughs> down. Will's trying the gross food. I'm not. Uh, yeah, anything on this plate, I would probably eat the raw eggs first. But that's oh, something about me. Uh, that could like actually make you sick, though. Didn't make Rocky sick. Yeah, but that's a movie. <laughs> All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, it, it, like, try, at least put him in like a glass of milk before you, before you down him or something. I don't know. I just don't want you getting salmonella. Um, you're right. DW as the, as the butler here. She lays out Arthur's clothes, but they're all weird and colorful, like uh, and mismatched. Mm. Yeah, but this is a great. I, I, in the early seasons, we would talk about when you see the characters in a different outfit. And it's like the hypothetical Arthur fighting game or like a hypothetical Arthur Fortnite, like the different costumes that yeah. appear. This one's a great piece of Arthur trivia. It's a Mary Moo Cow t-shirt and like a sombrero. Um, this is a hilarious fit. And he's also, he's wearing like polka dot leggings and pink rain boots. Um, yeah, it's wild. It's, it's, it's way, it's way colorful. It's like, it's like tutti fruity colors. And um, DW also quote-unquote drives him to school but the car the car is her tricycle uh attached to a wagon that she's trying to pull um i really like how snippy dw is in this cold open she gives like she gives him a lot of guff which is she's kind of poking holes in arthur's conceit of just having dw be his butler so she gives him all this inedible food and she's like yeah you know i can't cook and when the car is just her tricycle she she says to Arthur, "What'd you expect? I can't drive." 
So like she's she's very upfront about her uh, shortcomings. So really, it's on Arthur for wanting this in the first place. I will say, I hope that this is so weird. You know, we talked about getting changes soon. I hope we can change up the cold open formula because the Arthur asking a hypothetical question is starting to get real old. Like it's, yeah, it, it, someone... it, that's not to say oh, that that hasn't happened in the past. Like that was always, you know, early on in the, sh- in the podcast, we were saying like Arthur Ferris Bueller's to the camera and it's usually him asking a question or setting up a situation. But lately it's starting to feel like those, tw- those Twitter accounts that all they do is ask questions for engagement. Just like, mm. wouldn't you like a Butler quote tweet? Well, it's like, wouldn't, wouldn't you, wouldn't it be great to win a trophy every day? Quote tweet. And it's like, okay, like, Stop. Stop asking these random questions to set up the conceit of the episode. Yeah, someone could make a really good supercut of all these hypotheticals uh, in the a la the style of Jonathan Frakes hypotheticals in right. Beyond Belief Fact or Fiction. You know, with those videos where, I, for those of you who haven't seen Beyond Belief Fact or Fiction, it always starts with the framing device of... Um, uh, Jonathan Frakes of TNG fame uh, proposing a hypothetical, you know, haven't you noticed what big stars real estate agents have become lately? <laughs> uh, have you ever eaten at a Chinese food restaurant? Anyway, the, 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 when you put them all together, it's quite funny and ridiculous. What do you want to be when you grow up? What's the right tip? Have you called a plumber to your home lately? How superstitious are you? How much money would it take to make you spend a night in a cemetery? Would you display this as a trophy? Do you have a pet? Do you have a sweet tooth? Do you believe in the power of a curse? Have you had your hearing tested lately? Planning a trip soon? Can you remember the tallest man you've ever seen? Do you love to go a-wandering beneath a clear blue sky? And so you could make a pretty crazy one with, you know, Arthur talking about, like, wouldn't it be great to have a butler? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, also, if they if they could get Jonathan Frakes to do an Arthur cold open, I know it's too late now, but maybe maybe they buried that in the Flash seasons of just, wouldn't it be great to have a butler? Is this true? Um, yeah. We made it up. It's total fiction. <laughs> total fabrication. Uh, so this one is about Bailey, of course, and one morning when Muffy calls for him with her, like, bell that's next to her bed, uh, he doesn't show up. Muffy is craving a chocolate orange crepe, which, no thanks. Uh, what? I don't, dude, I think, I'm pretty sure I've said this before, I don't like fruit and chocolate. Like, give oh, me one right, or the other, right, not both right. at the same time. Please and thank oh, you. Oh, dude. I'm, I'm chocolate orange pilled. You know, every Christmas I get one of them, t- <laughs> those Terry's chocolate oranges. Oh, sure. You know, the ones you gotta smash on the table. See, I love that. Con- I love that concept, except for it being orange. Like I remember yeah. trying to suffer through Terry's chocolate orange because it's so much fun to smash it. But uh, mm, no, can't mm. I can't do it. I don't like it. Mm. Don't invite Will to your fondue night. Well, it, but but if it's cheese fondue, I would love to. Sure, <laughs> sure. Or, okay. only, or only invite Will to your cheese fondue night. I could I could also do chocolate. Okay, like. <sighs> I can make do with chocolate and strawberries. Also, if you have a chocolate fondue, like, I don't know, put some marshmallows out there, graham crackers or something, like some some non-fruit option in case people are allergic or something. Anyway, please don't uninvite me from your fondue night. Just have some consideration. So Bailey is not there, and neither Muffy or Mr. Crosswire knows why he isn't there. And Mr. Gro- Mr. Crosswire is at the breakfast table, and Muffy's very upset that Bailey didn't get her anything. And when she tells him that Bailey isn't in the house, Mr. Crosswire says, That's the last time I trust someone who's done perfect work for ten straight years. <laughs> we get, there's, there's a lot of real capitalist Mr. Crosswire in this episode. Muffy's upset about this beyond the fact that she wasn't, like, her whims weren't catered to. She also feels very strongly that Bailey is her friend like it's not that just that he is her butler but that they're friends which her which her school friends push back on they're just like yeah yeah he he's your friend as in he gets everything for you because he's paid to and Muffy's like but no we like we have a relationship we're friends and uh, everybody doesn't seem to think so um so I I really liked the detail of all of Muffy's um, school friends pushing back like it, it really humbles Muffy and it's it's nice to hear the voice of reason from you know the regular folks be like 
No, obviously Bailey's not your friend. You pay him. He's your butler. Like, have you ever asked Bailey about what's going on in his life ever? Right, exactly. And like, no, but it's 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 affecting Muffy more than you would think that it would. She doesn't see him as just hired help, even though the things she likes about him are what the hired help typically does. So Muffy thinks that he might have been like she wants to find out where he is. So she hires Buster to be a detective. And again, I had to manage my disappointment here. This happened, I want to say, a couple of seasons ago. I don't remember the exact episode, but Buster Baxter Private Eye isn't a thing anymore. He's been rebranded to, like, Buster Baxter Private Detective, and he dresses differently. He doesn't look like he did in season one, so it's just like, okay, I had to get over that. So Buster plays detective here. Um, He has this outfit on. I forget if this is the same as the last time he played detective, but he's got this hat that goes over his ears, Rather than having the ear holes cut out, oh, in the Ar- I didn't even notice that. So like, how uncomfortable must that be in the Arthur world? Like with Buster's like big goofy ten gallon hat when he was Private Eye, it had the ears cut out, and most Arthur hats tend to have the ears cut out if I remember correctly. But like to completely cover your ears like that, I wonder if that's like uncomfortable. Uh, I didn't even notice it. And it's funny, I you're right that we've seen... I feel like Buster's detective persona has had quite a few different iterations. Like, I feel like it's not just been one or two, but there's been multiple different yeah. outfits. They they, I feel, they pull something new out every time Buster dons this detective uh, character. And also, it's just... Listen, I'm not hating on it because... I, like, for instance, it works in this episode, but I feel like we have too many people with detective alter egos. Like, sometimes Fern's a detective, <laughs> sometimes That's Buster's a detective. I feel like even Francine's been a detective at some points. Um, let's get some different jobs on the scene. Or at least keep it keep it straight which people we want to be detectives. That's a that's a good point actually. I didn't think about that as as we will see in this very episode. So Buster's detective hypothesis is that Bailey is actually part of an invading alien force of butlers from the planet Corpulax. Now that like all butlers across the world are actually aliens who address each other as sir. Bailey has this video call with another alien who looks like a butler. And they all they both call each other sir, and they are preparing Earth to be conquered by their alien species. So that's Buster's idea, um, to which Mu- Mu- Muffy to which Muffy uh, kicks him out of the house. I almost wish she gave him the bums rush, but she just kind of pushes him out the front door. Muffy, this is uh, yeah. one, one, my one note about this is I love the design of the um, the Butler alien races spaceship. It's like. It, it it looks like a uh, like someone turned a Rolls Royce Phantom into a spaceship, uh, <laughs> it, and I I like thinking about this hypothetical uh, alien Buster uh, alien Butler Butler and Butler Buster they're too close the alien Butler society so pretty good lines from the aliens um, I think Bailey says Elwood City is now quite ready for takeover. Um, just all the, the butler talk, uh, being used, uh, contextually for, like, an alien race is, is, it's cute. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, it's, 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 it's a funny little idea that we can move on, we, you know, it's, it's funny in the moment, and then we could quickly move on. Um, Muffy gets a clue of her own when she investigates Bailey's room and finds that he is a fan of the Bill Abbey Trio, which is a jazz band, and... She also sees a photograph on the wall of Bailey in high school. It's a like it's you know it's like a class picture in high school, and we find out that Mr. Ratburn and Bailey went to high school together. So Muffy asks if she remembers who Bailey is. Like she goes to Mr. Ratburn, asks if he knows Bailey, but she doesn't know if Bailey is his first name or his last name, and it's just been too long since Mr. Ratburn's been in high school, so he doesn't remember. But the picture suggests that they were both in the band together. So Muffy begins to put it together that potentially the Bill Abbey trio that Bailey and 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 I this this actually kind of fooled me a little bit too, of like Bill Abbey is a potential 
Like, Bailey could be a good pseudonym for somebody named Bill Abbey. So I thought the reveal was going to be different than what it actually is. We also, yes, it's, a, it's yeah. a big red herring. I'll also say that uh, another trend that I'm seeing in Arthur, and I guess they've only done this one other time, um, despite uh, Francine's uncle, but whenever they want to make a, a character cool, you know what I mean? They're like, oh, you know, Braid's not just some nerd. He's also a little bit cool. They always make them into, like, jazz. That's that's something I've seen come up. It's I I feel like this is hasn't been our first foray into jazz, uh, and and someone re- discovering that somebody likes jazz on Arthur. Yes, you're right. Jazz has come back many many times. I it I must be that a lot of the writers or creative people on the Arthur staff were just big fans of jazz. Which I mean, if you work for PBS, that totally tracks. Um, how about this? music store clerk Muffy goes to the music store that we've never really seen before and asks the guy there about the Bill Abbey trio how about this guy oh I'm trying to remember oh I see I thought I thought this was gonna be throwaway character of the week you know what this guy is throwaway character of the week I I didn't write it down but he's definitely better you know the other options for throwaway character of the week uh are Bill Abbey himself uh, as well as the bouncer that won't let Buffy in, played by Bruce Dinsmore. But yeah, this dude, this like hair metal guy working at the music store, absolutely takes the cake. Uh, look at these, look at that mullet, look at those sunglasses, uh, look at that pierced, triple pierced one ear. Uh, this is a cool dude. I was just so distracted by um, this scene has really good comedic timing because he basically the the joke here is that Muffy doesn't know a single thing about Bailey despite having lived with him for ten years. And so, uh, the guy at the music store is like, "Well, what kind of music does she like? Does he like?" And Muffy's like, uh, "I don't know." Uh, well, does he play this instrument? She goes, I don't know. And so we get this kind of call and response, uh, leading us to learn that Muffy knows literally nothing about ba- ba- Bailey. Right. And you mentioned and you mentioned the guy at the door. So the Bill Abbey trio is like reuniting downtown. And so Muffy thinks that Bailey will be there. And she takes the limo there with along with Mr. Crosswire. I think Mr. Crosswire is actually driving the limo and they try to get their way in. Mr. Crosswire tries to kind of not strong arm his way in, but essentially like, do you know who I am his way into the club? Because Muffy can't enter because she's under 21. And you can, it's mostly in the background as Muffy does her own little detective work. But you, if you listen closely, you can hear that Mr. Crosswire is ready to offer this doorman a used car, potentially on the house. If yes. he lets them into the club. The secret funniest joke in this whole episode is if you listen to the audio, and you have to listen to it pretty carefully because uh, as they move further away from the scene, it gets harder to hear. But Mr. Crosswire trying to convince this bouncer to let him in, at some point, it's hard to make out, but he's like, he offers him a three, you could be walking away with a new three door. Like he's, he's essentially trying to sell him all this used car to let them in, which I assume he still would make him pay for. Um, oh, just probably. very funny stuff. Yeah, at one point, the guy's like, we can't let you in. Those are the rules. And uh, he, he goes, us crosswires invented rules. <laughs> yeah, again, it's just, it's it's Ed being so Ed. Um, so Muffy goes around to the side of the building. Again, we're working with the hypothesis that Bailey is secretly part of the Bill Abbey trio. But there is a dog who plays trumpet in the band, but it is not Bailey. So Muffy is dejected. She goes home only to find that Bailey is there when she gets home. And it turns out this whole time, Bailey was just on a week's vacation, which Mr. Crosswire, because he's so busy, just forgot about. They're, they're both, they both welcome him back. They're very happy to see him. Like Muffy, uh, hugs him and even Mr. Crosswire, like, like happily hug embraces him and is like, wait, I'm supposed to be mad at you. And then Bailey's like, I applied for a week vacation months ago. He's like, all right, I forgot. I'm so busy. Like the, the worst, the worst capitalist, you know, Ed Crosswire, just like, (laughs) I don't remember enforcing (laughs) I don't remember allowing a week's vacation. That doesn't sound like me. Um, so yeah, Bailey was, Bailey was just on a vacation. He had not left, but Muffy is a lot more receptive to finding out who he is as a person. 
after not having him around and realizing that she doesn't know very much about him at all. So we end off this story with finding out that Bailey is a trumpeter as well. He says he's not very good, and he's not very good, but Muffy still listens to him uh, play a tune on his trumpet. I I appreciated that, like, I, you know, he's very much like, oh, I'm, I'm not that good, Miss Muffy, and so I was expecting him to be, like, amazing, but no, he's actually kind of mediocre. He's not, he's not great at all. So uh, uh, expectations subverted in a couple of ways in this episode. I, f- I think, and I, I imagine the idea is that you, you're meant to think that he is this Bill Abbey guy, but no, that's a complete red herring, and the truth was much simpler the entire time. Yeah, not much more to add. Well, I'll save my my comments for final thoughts. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Uh, we're gonna get into the second half in just a minute. Supporting this podcast is how it keeps going, and it's very easy to do. So here's how you can do that. If you're listening to this show and want to get the full back catalog of Elwood City Limits and all of its sister shows and offshoots, you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and even more services. You can also go to our YouTube page, youtube.com slash Elwood City Limits, for the full back catalog. If we aren't on a service you use, please let us know. You can interact with us on social media. We're on Twitter, at ECL Podcast, Instagram, at Elwood City Limits and twitch.tv slash Elwood City Limits pod for our occasional streams. We're also on Facebook and Tumblr. Feel free to reach out to us on social media or you can email us and your email might be right on the show. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. Finally, for exclusive content, including entire side series like For the Kids, a PBS Kids podcast and ECL Origins, subscribe to us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash ElwoodCityLimits. That's all for now. Thanks a lot for listening. And now back to the show. The trouble with trophies is the second part of this episode. And again, it's Arthur's really, really looking for engagement on his Twitter. He's trying to get get his SEO up, as you said. Wouldn't it be great, Lucas, if you could win a trophy every day? What is that guy's name? Eric Alper or whatever? Where it's yeah. Like, what, 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 means, what is rock music to you? What was the first movie you remember seeing in theaters? What was your first credit card number? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. What is your what's your SID number? You said his name right away and it's just like that that's exactly who that guy is and <laughs> just the meme in and of himself. So, Lucas, a lot of trophies here in this hypothetical situation where Arthur within the span of like what feels like 10 minutes of his the start of his day is awarded. So, I wrote down all of these trophies that he's awarded by various members of his family. Oh, great. So there's the Wakey Wakey, the daily award for waking up. Arthur wins a Toothy, a Lifetime Achievement Award for Outstanding Dental Hygiene. He wins a Granny Award, the best for the best song composed in the bathroom overheard by your grandmother. He wins a Top Hat Award, and these are all like gilded golden statues of their yeah. whatever they're describing. The top hat, having a head of suitable circumference for hat wearing. He gets the Nobel Award for breathing, which is more of a medal. Uh, he gets a linty for gathering dust. He wins the Congressional Medal of Mammals. He, Dad Reed presents him with the Mark Brown Certificate of Existence. <laughs> this was my favorite. That would be a fun piece of merch or something, is if we could send out Mark Brown certificates of existence. That's that's um, what I, I feel like we've just discovered what we've been wor- working for at this podcast the whole time. It's not it's not mm. att- it's not attention. It's not money. We our goal the whole time has been to get a Mark Brown certificate of existence so that Mark right. Brown can certify that this podcast is real. Yeah, I could care less about a YouTube play button. I want a Mark Brown certificate <laughs> of existence. Absolutely. Uh, there's also a trophy of like a golden bone that Pal gives Arthur, and finally DW gives him the Arthur for just being you. So he's inundated with all of these trophies, and right away it's just like, well, trophies start to lose meaning if you get a bunch of them. But that's how we're kind of introduced to this whole thing. Yeah. At this point, Will, did you think, because I thought this episode was going to go to a very different place. I was like, wow, is Arthur finally going to be tackling these dang millennials and their participation trophies? Because <laughs> uh, that's, where, that's where I thought it was going when Arthur says, you know, trophies lose meaning when you have all, so many of them. But that's not really where the episode goes. 
Well, and you remind me, have Lucas, have you ever gotten a trophy for anything? Oh, yeah, I've gotten a trophy. I won in uh, high school. I won uh, most likely to be on television. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good uh, one. Upon graduation, yeah. Well, and jokes on them because you already were on television by that point. Ex- exactly, exactly. And really, Although you will. I mean, what what is tw- what is Twitch if not like modern television? Um, so I won. I actually did, <laughs> I did get a participation trophy in uh, one year when I was in. I used to do. Um, uh, soccer teams in the summer, and I had a coach who gave us all the same trophy. And I get, and I did win a trophy in the program that we were in. I won an award for uh, the best major project in the radio division in the year that I graduated. Nice. I still have that somewhere. Um, so we start the episode out on a trophy. Mr. Ratburn has a trophy he calls a thinky for the student who has shown the most improvement over the year, and that goes to George. Uh, and and no controversy about this right away. Really, this is secretly kind of another Muffy episode because, you know, Fern congratulates George on winning his trophy when they're all at lunch, and Muffy, Muffy has convinced herself that she, Fern is upset about this because Fern says to them explicitly that she doesn't really think about think much of trophies she doesn't really care about them but Muffy doesn't understand this to the point that she feels that Fern is just straight up lying and that she's actually very upset um so first of all I had a note about the thinky award it looks like it looks like a lamp but they took off the lampshade and then just made like attached wings to it it looks like something like I appreciate this attention to detail it looks like something that Mr. Ratburn could have made himself in his like garage yeah they the writers and especially with the whole opening sequence the the writers have a lot of fun with coming up with the designs for these different trophies um for instance and i know you have the list in front of you what's the trophy that arthur gets for waking up out of bed uh the wakey wakey the wakey wakey is like a giant it looks like orb from uh uh quake three uh like it's a <laughs> giant eyeball uh it's a quake three reference bro yeah, um, but yeah, yeah, the the thinky, a little bit more low rent than uh, the wakey-wakey, uh, looks like a, a light bulb that was spray-painted gold. Well, and, and and actually, Lucas, that reminds me, my family, I don't know if we do this anymore, uh, but we, we, had a li- we had a few years where we had a trophy for our family Oscar picks, so whoever won the Oscar picks every year oh, would get to... I do, I- I trophy? do that every year still. We don't have a trophy, but I, I still host an Oscar party where I make everybody dress up and we drink champagne and, <laughs> and try to pick the Oscars. That's fun. Um, and it was called, so like my mom is a teacher and her students made it for her. It's a Ken doll that's spray painted gold and glued to a tuna can and it's called Tuna Can Ken. So uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure I took that home like one year maybe, or it might've been that I tied. I think I might've tied somebody. And took it home, but it mostly has lived with either my mother or my sister. Um, so it's the same sort of idea with this homemade trophy. Um, M- Muffy, again, a lot of this from her perspective of she's paying for an compliment here in that she's saying that, Fern, you've improved so much this year. Like you, you've straightened up your posture. You're wearing brighter colors. You almost look pretty. It's so rude. Because um, and, and Muffy, what Muffy's trying to say is that Fern should have won the most improved student because she's fixed all of her uh, appearance defects, quote unquote. Yeah. She she should have won most improved student because Muffy considered her so busted before. <laughs> the, and so Fern walks away, and Muffy can't help but read this again that she's really upset that she didn't win. Uh, she says, "Poor Fern. She's so sad, trying to hold her head up high despite her terrible posture." <laughs> I I also got the feeling here from this exchange where Muffy is absolutely committed to reading the wrong thing into everything that Fern says. I, I feel like we're ta- I feel like I'm bringing up Twitter a lot in this episode, but Muffy on Twitter would just be like the worst person that you run into on that horrible horrible app, the one who absolutely misreads everything. Like mm. what like what's the one where it's just like you could tweet about saying, I like pancakes, and yes. somebody be like, how come you don't like waffles? 
Yeah, 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 exactly. Do you hate waffles? Yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. That would totally yeah. be Muffy, Muffy is the ultimate bad faith poster. Yes, 100%. So thankfully, well, I was going to say thankfully Twitter never becomes a thing, but you never know. Uh, the, the series only just ended. We may get like a Twitter like when we get into the Flash seasons. Um, so Muffy decides to give Fern a trophy to make up for this perceived like Muffy has this whole scenario that she um, imagined in her head of like Fern like in tears and like shouting at everyone and walking away in a huff. And it's also because Muffy has an entire trophy room of trophies she's been given since she was a little a little like a baby, essentially. And it's all like, you know, bunk trophies and all this kind of stuff. But so she can't imagine somebody not putting importance into a trophy. So they make Fern a Saki trophy for the most colorful footwear, which Fern ends up turning down. You mentioned earlier that we have a lot of detective characters. So Fern has been a fictional detective before, but now she's writing a fictional detective story about the her character whose name is Annabelle. Oh, I should have... It, Fatui? It, I, I, forget, uh, I forget how they pronounce it. I didn't look this up beforehand, Will, because I assumed you knew, but <laughs> yeah. maybe maybe I should have. What is this a parody of? This feels like a, a pretty specific, uh, like, I, my guess was, like, those Agatha Christie novels, like, um, you know, Murder on the Orient Express and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know what this is parodying. I th- I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure you're right. I'm pretty sure it's Poirot. Mm-hmm. because she has a very strong French accent. Hmm, okay. But I don't know enough about Poirot to know, like, because in this fantasy sequence where she's writing this, uh, Detective uh, Fatoui, which is French for armchair, is trying to find the Sapphire of Maharajapur on the trail of the master jewel thief, the Grey Dove. And George is here, too. He's like... Her British assistant that is kind of close to Cockney because he's interviewing like a security guard and he's like he calls he calls him Ya Scooby Numpty. That's which I, I'm like, should we bleep that? Like yeah. I can't believe you're even saying that well. Like numpt like numpty? Like, I don't know. That seems like it could be uh surprisingly dirty for a kid's show. I'm not sure. I, I don't know English slang that well. Um so Fern turns this down. And they actually give the Saki to Binky, who gets the trophy because he's wearing these green socks with white stars on them. No uh, comments on Binky's green stars <laughs> with white socks. I, 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 these are like the the kid friendly version of those Huff socks, uh, with the little marijuana leaves. Do you remember those, Will? Do you remember 2013? Do you know what I'm talking about? What I'm talking about Huff socks. I really. You never do a guy. No. You never do a guy who wore the. Oh, here, let me send you a. Now I have to send you a picture on Skype. Huff socks. I bet it's gonna come up right away. Yes. By, okay. By the way, I looked it up. Uh, it's she pronounces it Annabelle Fauteuil. It's a really weird French pronunciation that I'm not used to. Fauteuil. Fauteuil. Here, are the, here's these huff socks. Will. Mm-hmm. This is what this is what Binky would be wearing if we had a kind of like. HBO Max, like that new Scooby Doo show that's so controversial. Oh god! Uh, okay. If we if we had one of those for Arthur, this is what Biggie'd be wearing. H U F socks. Um. Okay, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to tell me a little bit more. Like, what's the difference? Like these these just look like socks to me. Like, what's the difference? Well, they have marijuana leaves on them for one. Is that is that it? Is that what makes them? That- them, them. I mean, and yeah, it's like Huff's the skating brand, but yes, the marijuana oh. leaves are, are pretty much the kind of the star attraction of the show. Okay, I uh, see. And back in 2013, will listen. It was the if you were someone who listened to bands like Waves with two V's mm-hmm. and yep. um and what's that band called? Uh, friggin' Beach Beach House. What's that? Freak? No, not Beach House. Anyway. Uh, if you were one of those guys, you had to have these socks. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that explains why I didn't know anything about them. I was definitely not a Huff Socks guy in 2013. <laughs> um, so Muffy is still trying to invent reasons to give Fern a trophy. This ugh, I loved this. So they invite Fern to the treehouse. By they, I mean Muffy, George, and Buster. Mm. And Buster and George are just kind of 
helping Muffy along, even though they're not convinced that, you know, Fern really wants a trophy either. They end up creating this board game that is designed to be won by Fern. It's called Poet Tree, and they make it Wait, themselves. Wait, did they, did they make it? Yeah, they made yeah. it themselves? I thought they bought it because, like, there's figures, like, of all the famous poets. It's pretty involved. Well, I guess I thought that they made it because you can see that, like, I thought they were, like, there's a there's a question that Buster reads out. And so I thought they were making up the questions. But maybe they did buy it. I guess maybe that makes more sense. I just... I guess I mis- I guess I misunderstood. So either way, they have this board game called Poet Tree that is seemingly des- that is seemingly, you know, Fern's game to lose. But she also invites Binky, who also wants to play. Um, <laughs> the the way that Binky comes on screen here, they're both like Fern's climbing up the ladder, and it's like like let's play Poet Tree, and Binky says, "Can I be T. S. Eliot? If Eliot's taken, I'll be Yates or Pound, but I prefer to be a modernist." Again, yeah, I love. Yeah. I, I I I forgot. You know, Binky really is a modern day Renaissance man. You know, ballerina, pro wrestling fan, everything that you could conceivably want. And it's been a minute since we've also addressed his love of poetry. Not since the last time uh, there was a Binky Fern episode. Remember when they do that poetry reading? Yeah. Um, we haven't really addressed that Binky's a huge poet head uh, since. So it was funny to watch him crush this poetry game. He totally does. Uh, he gets the question right that we hear earlier. What does the E.E. and E.E. Cummings stand for? Which is Edward Eslin. So Binky nails that, and he gets the poet the the poet tree trophy that they made. Um, also, I'm not sure that I knew that E.E. E. Cummings is a man. I thought E.E. E. Cummings was a woman, so I was wrong about that. And to your point, Lucas, we get a reference back to another rhyming Binky episode where he gets locked in a rhyming loop again, just like in that uh, one where he met William Carlos Williams. I, I see. I totally. I, I think I was starting to check out at this point uh, in this episode because uh, I totally missed this. <laughs> really? It's, uh, it's I mean, yeah. it, it, it's back a little while. I think, you know, I want to say like around maybe season five or six or something. But it's like where where Binky gets uh, he can't rhyme. He's trying to make the card for his mom and he has trouble rhyming. And then he becomes so good at rhyming that he can't stop rhyming. Um, so, yeah, I, just, I mean, great episode. So. Muffy's completely out of ideas, so she just shows up at Fern's house and gives her a trophy for the meanest friend ever, which is really, it's a really funny visual gag of the trophy is just a golden statue of a girl who is frowning and has crossed her arms, and it just says, meanest friend ever. Uh, (laughs) This was, of all the gag trophies in this episode thus far, this is the funniest one, so they saved the best for last. Um. And so, like, Fern is confused by this. And what's also going on at the same time is that Fern is having trouble finishing her detective story because she has the mystery of, like, the stolen ju- uh, the stolen jewel out of the museum. But, you know, she's, she's essentially painted herself into a corner. She's like, the thief le- left his calling card, but also they don't know how he got in or got out, and neither does Fern. So the trophy actually gives her a bit of inspiration and allows her to write the ending of her detective story, which is essentially that the the jewel, the master jewel thief, the gray dove, never left. He was staying inside like a sarcophagus and was going to leave once the museum reopened. And but she gets that bit of inspiration from Muffy and she comes around to understand that, you know, even though trophies don't mean much to her, to Fern, um, they do have meaning to other people. And I, I paraphrased community here in my notes. The meaning of trophies is that trophies have meaning. <laughs> so, yeah. so she ends off by giving Muffy her own trophy. F- Fern gives her her own trophy and dedicates it to Muffy, to which Muffy says, To my dear friend Muffy, who is always inspiring, even when she doesn't realize it. It's so true! <laughs> and we see the end of Fern's story here. By the way, the jewel thief in Fern's story is uh, Binky in a top hat and like a mustache. <laughs> I wish we had more of this. This is some of my favorite stuff in the episode is Binky, uh, they reveal he was hiding in the, the sarcophagus the whole time. And then he has his grand escape, which is just he runs off. Yes, it's v- very, very theatrical. So once again, you you mentioned that jazz is a recurring uh, reference 
in the Arthur writers writers room. So is like detective fiction and like mm. high minded literature, and especially with the poetry references, uh, a lot of like PBS style flexing going on here. But that's about it. Um, let's mark it back here and talk about how what we thought about the episodes. Uh, Lucas, the butler did what? More like the podcaster thought what? <laughs> what did they say about Arthur? What did he say? Um, what did he say? Uh, I think that the butler did what is a totally enjoyable episode with kind of a dud of an ending. Um, like, I get that the whole point is to kind of subvert your expectations, and it's kind of leading to this moment where you think he's, Bailey's the jazz musician, but then he isn't, and it was like, oh, I was just, but I think the, I was just on vacation the whole time, is a little bit of a cop-out. Like, I feel like I learned a little bit more about Bailey. He likes jazz, he takes a vacation, um... But it would have felt like we uncovered more about Bailey if he legitimately was moonlighting as a jazz musician. You know what I mean? It, it just kind of feels like it wrapped up where we were right back where we started. Um, and the reason I'm being so critical about the ending is because up to that point, I, I really liked the episode. I legitimately didn't know where it was going at the start. And so it was kind of fun to watch Muffy uncover this mystery. Um, and unlike how Arthur mysteries usually are, where you could really see where it's going from a mile away... Buffy is legitimately like digging up clues like oh look at this class picture oh these were his his records that he was into and you can kind of see them find this thread with these clues and put it all together it's just that the conclusion was kind of left me wanting more what about you will hmm that's interesting um i think i'm more like i'm also very positive on this and the ending i i, I get what you're saying i guess it just didn't really bother me as much and that's funny i, I find that usually Thing, little things bother me more than they bother you, I guess, generally. But eh, it's time for us to switch roles, I suppose. No, I Friday really, the 13th! Ah, uh, freaky Friday the 13th. We're switching roles. Um, I No, I, I liked this. And it's been, it's been exactly what we've been asking for. A little bit more information about Bailey. So we did find out about it. Granted, I think if I had a criticism about the episode it would just be that i would rather have heard it from him rather than kind of discovering it but that's the point that's the point of the whole story and i did like that it's a drive for muffy like it's there's again also kind of getting what we asked for and that we have more muffy focus that isn't just her being one-dimensional this is actually showing a side of muffy that is uh actually cares about other people and and so is the other story but just in a, in a way that's more kind of blown up and exaggerated. This is literally like Muffy struggling with her feelings about somebody that she does care about, but then also interrogating them as to like, well, why do I care about them? And why don't I know more about them? It's act, it's You could interpret it as being a little bit, bit more mature, but uh, that might just be my 32-year-old eyes looking, looking at it. Otherwise, I thought it was good. There's some funny lines in here. I liked the sequence of events. I actually kind of appreciated being swerved. I like that it didn't turn out that, you know, Bailey is secretly a jazz musician like Ron Swanson or something. He's just a big jazz fan. And actually, you know, he still enjoys his life as a butler. Um, I, I hope that we do, and I, and I hope I don't regret this, I know that Bailey... Become, is on his way to becoming more and more of a main character. If even by the fact that in like the cold open, Arthur references Bailey. Like it's not, it's often, you know, just in Muffy's stories that he's a thing. But now with having other people acknowledge his existence, it feels like he's going to be a lot more of a character. I hope I don't regret that. I hope they don't lean on Bailey too much. But I think there's still a lot of, uh, a lot more to be mined from him. But we also did get quite a bit, and I'm I'm pleased. I I thought this I thought this was good. I also really liked the trouble with trophies, and it has to do with the fact that again, when the Arthur's writer when the Arthur writers really want to be, they can be very like funny and smart in a way you don't expect them to be. Like even just down to the line about Binky wanting to be T. S. Eliot, I'm just like, okay, that's like that's like a Simpsons joke right there. Like that's like the old the old Harvard writers at the Simpsons want to show you that they went to Harvard and they're really smart. It's just like okay, let's let the Arthur writers flex about that a little bit, so they get to like, you know, sometimes we get jazz, sometimes we get references to jazz music or blues music. In this one, it's like we get references to detective stories and poetry. 
And it's like, okay, that's cool. And it's within a story that I think I think was really interesting and used a lot of the characters in very well. So having having Muffy be a foil without having her be an antagonist was a, was good. And it really was demonstrating that it really just comes down to she is from a different walk of life than everybody else. She literally can't understand why people don't feel the way she feels. And it's as much a journey for her as it is for Fern. They're both learning to understand things from different perspectives. But in a way, thankfully, that is, you know, it's it's about a trophy. So it's pretty low it's pretty low stakes, which means that it can afford to be funny, it can be afford it can afford to be goofy, but it can still have a little bit of a message and a little bit of a heart. Uh, at the end of it. So I wasn't expecting much from this premise, but I actually, I really like, I really liked it. I'm like the, I'm the hater this week. I don't know why. No, no, I don't hate, I I, I don't hate this episode. Uh, In fact, I I think it's a totally enjoyable episode with a lot of moments that I loved. For instance, much like you, uh, the poetry gag uh, is really a highlight standout. And I loved the cutbacks to Fern's uh, detective novel. I thought those were really fun. But I don't know. For some reason, this episode, I I found it hard to be engaged with. Like I said, I find it hard to pay attention kind of as it was reaching its last third. After uh, Fern receives the bad friend trophy, it's just like I kind of checked out. Um, and 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 again, the conclusion it comes to, which is that you know trophies only have meaning if you kind of uh, give them meaning. It was just kind of like a shrug from me. I was like, what is kind of what is the point of this episode? What's the what's this moral here? But I, I you broke it down really well. I, I like what you said about how uh, it comes down to Fern and and Muffy have totally different perspectives. Uh, you know, as a result of their uh, relatively separate upbringings. Um, and so that's, it's more about them trying to understand each other than trying to understand the nature of trophies. But yeah, I don't know. It just, it wasn't as good as the sum of its parts for me personally. That's interesting. We really are switching roles here on this Friday the 13th episode, uh, which which is good. I like, I like that we can still keep people on their toes. Sometimes I, I worry that, the show kind of dips into like me being the hater and you liking everything. Just like, no, that is not that is not true at all. We we are both individuals and we like what we like and we critique what we critique. So I'm glad that we uh, both I'm, I'm glad that we both came to two different. We're, we're like the Muffy and Fern of this podcast episode. We're both seeing it from different perspectives, but neither of them are necessarily wrong. And now we are. We're do- well, we're done for this episode, and we're almost done with season 15. We have, Lucas, we've, we've one more episode of traditional animation left. Like, I, and I wow. think, and I think that's, and I think that's it in terms of, like, we could, because we have done commentaries on all of the Arthur movies. We've seen, I want to say, like, if, unless I'm missing something, we've done some form of podcast or, audio content on every piece of traditionally animated Arthur media. And next week's episode is the very last one. After that, we're getting into the flash seasons and I don't, and I'm, I'm not saying that with any degree of negativity, we're going to remain open to it, but it's, it is going to be the end of an era, the end of a season, the end of an era of this podcast and of Arthur. I'm I'm both looking forward to it and I'm sad to see the era go. Uh, lots to talk about in the coming weeks, both to say au revoir to the traditional animation and to say hello and hear what we think of the new animation style. Lots to talk about coming up here on ECL. Absolutely. And next week, the final episode of season 15, uh, I have a feeling this one's going to be a little heavier than normal because one of the stories we're going to be looking at is Grandpa Dave's memory album. Lucas, I, I, we're going to talk. We're going to talk about it next week, and I'm going to have to do a bit of research into this. I think this might be the last time we see Grandpa Dave, and like I'm a little, I'm I don't I'm a little upset about it. I'm we're going to see we're going to see how we feel about that. Yeah, lots of goodbyes coming up. And with Grandpa Dave's memory album will also be Buster's Carpool Catastrophe for the finale of season 15 and the traditionally animated seasons of Arthur. That's going to be coming up next week, uh, wherever you listen to us. Remember, if you want these episodes a week early, as well as monthly episodes of our side series, 
then please consider subscribing to patreon.com slash elwoodcitylimits. And we've got some cool stuff coming up at the end of the month. We've got ECL Origins. We've got, we're going to have our season 15 recap. And then by February, we'll be getting into the first Flash season of Arthur, which is going to have, I'm sure, a lot of information, a lot of research to be done. Oh, man, it's a big year. I'm excited. I'm a little anxious, but... uh, yeah, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a time as it always is. So thank you very much for listening to this episode of Elwood City Limits. We really appreciate you being here on whichever feed you found us on. My name's Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini, if Elliot's taken, I'll settle for Yates or Pound. But I'd prefer to be a modernist. It's such a good line. It's so good. <laughs> uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>